We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Today is Monday, November the 22nd, 2021. Today's show, it's Victory Monday, folks. The Gamecocks officially have punched their ticket to bowl eligibility in Shane Beamer's first season. Guys, I'll break down the Auburn game from Saturday in its entirety, guys. Of course, I'll give my full takeaways, thoughts, reactions from Saturday night's game. I also talk my biggest takeaway from the game, hand out some TSUS game balls. We talk slap big of the weekend. And of course, we hand out the weekly Cock of the Walk Award as we celebrate the big victory Saturday night at Williams-Brice Stadium as Carolina takes down Auburn by a final score of 21 to 17. Also, guys, of course, it is rivalry week and our news and notes i will give you guys my early thoughts as the vegas line drops we'll also touch on dawn staley squad how they're faring in the bahamas also we got a ton of listener questions voicemails we have a fantastic throwback conversation an interview with former gamecocks quarterback Corey jenkins as he discusses his illustrious career in the garnet and black guys it's a victory monday and we have got a packed show for you here on this monday and of course guys as always it's brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, for all your movie needs, whether in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina, be sure to check out our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media, at Upstate Movers Group. Of course, if you have any other questions, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That's upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it. Boys and girls, crack them if you got them. Smoke them if you got them, because it feels good to be good on this side. Ladies and gents, thank you all so much for tuning in. Victory Monday. Who'd have thunk just a few weeks, a couple of months ago, we'd be sitting right here. The Gamecocks in Shane Beamer's first year are officially bowl 
eligible. I've told you guys this before, guys, that sometimes with the content, most of the time, we keep things pretty buttoned up, pretty professional, pretty put together. Today, unfortunately, folks, today, unfortunately, is probably not going to be one of those days. As I'm here to celebrate with each and every single one of you, what a night, what a game, what a victory for Shane Beamer squad. Again, we're going to talk about all that, break it all down. You guys have left a ton of questions, ton of great voicemails. And of course, I'm going to give my full thoughts on it. Also, of course, I'm fired up because it is rivalry week. We all know we didn't get this last year. Now we get it. The arch rival coming to Willie B for a night game on Saturday. How can you not be fired up here on this Monday, guys, whew, I am I am pumped. I'm stoked. A ton to talk about, a ton to discuss. Uh, it feels good to be good. And guys, we're going bowling. <laughs> we're going bowling. Who'd have thunk, like I said, who'd have thunk just a couple of short weeks ago after games against Texas A&M, even against Mizzou, early in the season after Vandy and Troy. Hey, we found a way. We found a way. This team found a way. This coaching staff found a way. And we found a way to persevere through it all. And we are going to be rewarded by getting to go to a bowl game. God, it feels so good to say that for the first time since 2018, the Gamecocks are officially bowl eligible. Again, guys, a ton to discuss, a ton to dive into. First things first, guys, I hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I hope this show finds you well, no matter where you are, what you're doing, whether you're on the commute, you're in the office, you're on the job, you got the day off, maybe you're in class, you're getting ready for Thanksgiving, you're traveling to see family, whatever it might be, folks. Again, thank you all so much for taking your time to tune in. Also, I do want to say, the TSUS tailgate, and of course, we will have our final one this weekend. I'll discuss that in just a second, but I want to say thank you again to those who continue to show, come by the tailgate, show love, show support, rock with the content, rock with everything we do, guys. Again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. You have no clue how much that means to me, means to us. It's truly incredible, and it's and it's humbling, and it's it's. I'm at a loss for words a bit when you guys come by the tailgate and show your love and support, and we're able to talk and conversate. And I met a bunch of great Gamecocks. Met my guy Ben, who was all the way from England, watching his first ever Gamecocks game. Getting to interact with folks like that, just truly incredible. And it's the people that make the difference, guys. Again, that's why I love doing the live events. That's why I love doing the tailgates because, you know, we interact on social media and that's great, but there's only so much you can really feel and do in a DM, in a tweet, in a message, stuff like that. But getting to shake someone's hand, getting to look someone in the face in person and say thank you and show appreciation, and you guys showing that love as well, it's truly incredible. So, again, I want to start off by saying thank you, thank you, thank you so much, guys, for the continued love and support. And you guys – you guys are the reason TSUS is what it is, is what it's becoming. You guys are the reason the TSUS tailgate has been a massive, massive success. We had another great time on Saturday before the Gamecocks game against Auburn, and I know this weekend, oh, man, this week, this weekend is going to be absolutely insane. Looking forward to it. We can start there, guys. Just a quick reminder, update. You probably already saw it on social media, but the TSUS tailgate, of course, this weekend at Seawells, spots 93 to 96, the last one of the 2021 football season. One more ride. We'll be out there probably around 12, 1230 or so, of course, kickoff at 730. But we are going to be out there early. The TSUS and Big Cock Club flags will be flying. So look for that, guys. And again, this one is definitely set up to be the best, the biggest, the baddest tailgate that we've had all season long. An absolutely apocalyptic day to be a cold beverage in the city of Columbia. Guys, a couple of quick housekeeping items, a couple of reminders really quickly because it is kind of a different week, and then we'll go ahead and dive into the show, guys. The content schedule. So do not fret. 
The content is going nowhere. I've had a lot of people ask me, Chris, with the holiday, with Thanksgiving, what's the deal? Podcast will be five days this week. Normal podcast schedule Monday through Friday, just as you know it. Yes, Thursday on Thanksgiving, the podcast will drop our full Clemson game preview. Of course, Friday will be our prediction for the game on Saturday. So everything will be same with the podcast. There will be no Daily Crow on Thursday because, of course, again, guys, it's Thanksgiving. Go enjoy that time with your families. Go eat you some food. Go eat you some turkey. Go watch some football, whatever it is that you do. No Daily Crow on Thursday. Other than that, our schedule is exactly the same. Yes, we'll be at Tin Roof Wednesday night, 5 to 7. Guys, if you know anything about the night before Thanksgiving, that is an insane night in the service industry. So, again, that sets up to be a really, really good time. And what a busy week we have, by the way, in regards to events and stuff like that. The content is truly going to be bleeding out of the eyeballs. Of course, Dawn Staley squad, they are currently in the battle for Atlantis. And it's looking like they, they might take on UConn tonight. So you got that going on. We've got Tiger Burn tonight at six o'clock, the kickoff rivalry week. Yours truly will be there. Of course, tomorrow night, men's basketball returns to action at home against Wofford. Yours truly will be there again. We've got Tin Roof Wednesday. We've got Thanksgiving Thursday. Friday, women's basketball has a game at three at home. Yours truly will most likely be at that as well. And then, of course, we've got our game on Saturday. So like I said, guys, content will be bleeding out of the eyeballs all week Long. Also, guys, one last thing really quickly, one quick update reminder, if you will, the day after Thanksgiving, as we all know, Black Friday, that weekend, Cyber Monday, tons of deals upcoming with the merchandise. Again, guys, of course, we all know it's the holiday season. If you've been waiting to buy your merch, whether it be Beamer Ball, Shane Storm, all aboard the Shane Train, Clem Sucks, we've also got some special basketball merch coming this week, might even be dropping today. Black Friday, Cyber Monday deals. Be sure to stay tuned to that. There will be a ton of specials, a ton of discounts, a ton of deals for you guys upcoming this weekend. So, again, a lot of exciting stuff this week as we're recapping this game. We're talking the Auburn game. And, of course, it's rivalry week, folks. And if you can't get excited this week, you just simply don't have a pulse. And I know you guys all are. We're excited. So, without further ado, let's go ahead Let's talk about that victory, huh? That victory over the Auburn Tigers, Gamecocks, getting the 21-17 to win. Another magical night at Willie B, guys. That is truly the best way to put it. Another magical night at Willie B. And, I mean, I'm sure you guys saw my post-game video, and it was very brief in comparison to how I normally, you know, put out analysis, takes, if you will. And we'll certainly dive into that on, on this show, but – that was really how I felt. Um, I really, on a serious note, and I said this after the game, but I want to say it again here on the airwaves. I hope people are able to take a step back. And I've been preaching having perspective all season long, right? I've been that guy really trying to do my best to inject perspective. Hey, it's Shane Beamer's first year. It's a bit of a ragtag roster in some ways. Um, you know, things are obviously not perfect. They're far from it. And there's going to be some bumps in the road. It's going to be a roller coaster ride. I hope people have perspective and can appreciate just how special it is what Shane Beamer has done this season. Because after Saturday's victory, the Gamecocks now sit six and five and finish the SEC slate at three and five in the conference. But when Shane Beamer took over this job, guys, damn near a year to the date, by the way, damn near a year to the date. When he took over last year, this program was in disarray. This program was in shambles. 
the turmoil around this program. Guys, you all remember it. You all recall a broken, fragmented fan base, program, culture, everything. And have things been perfect? Absolutely not. Has it been ugly at times? It absolutely has. Has it made us want to pull our hair out? It absolutely has. But the way that Shane Beamer and this entire coaching staff and this football team and its players, by the way, because kudos to them for buying in and believing. But the way that Shane Beamer, with his positive attitude and his go get them attitude, has been able to come in and have such a positive impact on these young men and rally the troops and rally them together against all odds. When most people in the preseason, guys, if you look at the national analysts, we're picking the Gamecocks to go three and nine, four and eight. You know, those within South kind of circles, of course, we're picking a six and six record in bowl game. But most of the national perception was this was an iffy hire. It wasn't a great hire. You know, oh, who's Shane Beamer, whatever. Probably going to win three or four games. It's going to be three or four years before South Carolina's really even competing for anything again. And I'm not sitting here on this Monday telling you guys everything's resolved, everything's fixed. South Carolina all of a sudden's a, you know, going to win 10 games next year. It's still going to be a process. It's still going to be to take time. But for the fact of what he's done, in such a short amount of time. We talked about this in the preseason, guys, and over the summer, and that was the thing that impressed me the most was not the commits, not this and that, but the way he had been able to, to completely flip the energy and the optimism and the hope around Gamecock football, and you are finally seeing that come to fruition and, and, and pay off for this football team. This football team believes in Shane Beamer, They've bought into Shane Beamer. And again, th there have been some rough patches along the way, most certainly. It has been a roller coaster of all roller coasters this season. But to get the Gamecocks to bowl eligibility with a game still remaining, with seven and five, and if you win a bowl game, guys, you could win eight games this season. That is on the table. That's possible. If you'd have told any Gamecock fan in the preseason, hey, you're going to be six and five going into the Palmetto Bowl with wins over Auburn and Florida. There isn't a Gamecock fan around that would have said no to that. That wouldn't have been anything other than thrilled with that result. So kudos to Shane Beamer, his coaching staff on a job well done. It hasn't always been pretty. It hasn't always been fun to watch, but damn it, they have found a way to keep this football team together, keep this football team believing. And I tell you what, guys, you go mess around and win this weekend. I truly believe Shane Beamer should be in consideration for coach of the year in the SEC because the job he has done, the job he has done has been flat out incredible. So again, I give all the credit in the world to Shane Beamer, his coaches. Again, guys, I also want to give credit to those players. Give credit to those players for believing, for buying in. You know, when there's a coaching change, it's very easy to write off a guy and say, oh, well, he's not my coach. He didn't recruit me. What does he know? And especially when it's early in the season and things aren't necessarily going your way or working out, hey, these guys continue to believe, to buy in, to fight for one another, to fight for their head coach, to fight for the university and the way they're playing. And, and the, you know, I've seen many people comment on that, and I agree. The way this team attacks each and every single play, each and every single down, each and every single game, that's what stands out to get, and that's what's so impressive. Guys, again, I said this after Florida, and I know it was much tougher to hear this type of messaging after Mizzou because things didn't go your way. It was a bad loss, but you simply don't win a game like you won on Saturday night. You don't go down 14 or nothing and show resiliency and come back and win that football game. You don't do it if your culture is anything other than stellar, and it is.
Shane Beamer has single-handedly flipped that culture in a year's time. A program that have won to combine six games the past two seasons. And I know many of you say, well, you know, they played a conference-only slate last year. If, they, if they'd have played non-conference, they'd have the same amount of wins. Now we can finally put that to bed because you know what? That's not the case anymore. That's not the case anymore. So keep it in perspective, guys. Continue to have perspective, right? Continue to have perspective. You know what else Shane Beamer's done, by the way? He's made football at Williams-Brice Stadium fun again. He's made it fun again. Guys, how much fun have home games been this year? As I take a sip, by the way, of my victory beer. Shout out to uh, my guy Lance Player, just crushing butch lattes uh, here on this Monday. Oh, it tastes so sweet, so sweet after a dub. But how much fun have football games at Williams-Brice Stadium been this season? Five and one at home. Yes, you had the slip up against Kentucky early in the year, but five and one at home. Five and one at home. And specifically speaking on that game that took place on Saturday night, what a time it was being in the building. What a fantastic atmosphere, a great environment. Gamecock Nation, kudos to you for showing up and showing out and being loud. Willie B was rocking. Willie B was magical. And I know I said that after the Florida game, but damn it, it felt like that yet again. And we're getting back to the point where I feel like, you know what? If we play anyone on our home field, I feel good. I'm confident we got a chance. I don't give a damn who it is. You're coming into our house at night. We're going to show up. We're going to show out. We're going to be rowdy, and best of luck to you. But what a game, man. What a game. I mean, you go down 14 nothing. I think we're all thinking to ourselves, we're about to get boat raced. We are about to get blown out. It did not look good early. And I tweeted this out, guys, early. Fire Greg Atkins, which, by the way, prayers up to Greg Atkins. I know he had the health scare. We saw that after the game. You know, prayers up to him and his family and everything else. I don't know what's going on necessarily, but – the offensive line was frustrating us, to say the least, early in that football game. Jason Brown sacked four times. But again, we can talk statistics. We can talk completions and yards and catches and ball carriers. And we can talk all that, right? We can all talk about what's on the paper. But the fact that this football team was able to go down 14 to nothing and stare that adversity right in the face and battle back was truly just a thing of beauty, guys. I mean, truly a thing of beauty. You know, you take a look at these statistics. Give Zaquandre White the keys to City. Give Quan White the key to City. If you want to win, put Hot Boy in. We talked about it after the Florida game, guys. We talked about it after last week. Quan White, the most dynamic and explosive running back on this roster, and I don't even know how you can debate it now. 16 carries, for 99 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. Oh, by the way, in the receiving game, in the passing game, three catches for 69 yards and a touchdown. How about it? How about it? Let's put some freaking respect on Zaquandre Hotboy White's name. I thought Jason Brown played a very clean game for you offensively. 10 of 15, had three touchdowns, had the bad interception early, but he was able to flush it, forget it, and bounce back. And then, guys, Clayton White. I, I mean, coming out in the second half, that dominant performance they had literally put a blank check in front of Clayton White. Put a blank check in front of him and his defensive staff and make sure you keep them in Columbia for a long, long, long time. 
I mean, that was just a complete team victory, team effort. Kai Kroger with some great punts as well. He had six punts in the game, three of those down inside the 20, averaged 43.3 yards per punt. Just a complete team effort in this one. And things were certainly not perfect. There's a lot that needs to be fixed. There's a lot that needs to be corrected. I mean, you take a look at, you know, the offensive line. Again, early in the game, too, the running game. Not being able to get anything going. Jason Brown being sacked four times, right? So there's still a lot that needs to be fixed. But the, the, the resiliency of this football team to battle back and to find a way, I mean, that's really, guys, what stands out. That, that, that's what stands. Again, we could sit here and talk for an hour about just the statistics and, and the schemes and, Dude, just the sheer want to and willingness to lay it all on the line for your brother beside you, that to me is what just stood out. That And, and I'll tell you this, guys, my biggest takeaway from the game, it's very simple. It's very to the point. It's very obvious, you could say. But my biggest takeaway from Saturday, guys, is again, beyond all the statistics, beyond everything, we're going bowling, baby. We're going bowling. We are going bowling in Shane Beamer's first year. We're going bowling. I mean, what an accomplishment, what a feat. And you lock it up before even the last game of the season. And you get two wins this season in Florida and Auburn. You can talk about those teams in the turmoil. And, of course, we're speaking right now, Dan Mullen has been effectively fired from the University of Florida. Um, you know, in Auburn having a first-year head coach. But those are type of wins, guys, in your first season that trend your program upwards. Those are types of wins that, that changes recruiting, that changes your program as a whole because of the, the name power that both of those have. Uh, you know, I, I will tell you, it was so awesome. So awesome, by the way. The Mike Bobo hate that was displayed at williams Bryce Stadium. And that play call on their own 30 on fourth and one, when instead of handing the ball to Tank Bigsby, who had a really good day against you, as we predicted, 22 for 164 and a touchdown. He averaged 7.5 yards per carry. Instead of handing it to him, they run a play-action pass and try to go deep down the field. By the way, guys, on a side note, on a side note, because I'm going to get more to Mike Bobo in just a second. Trust me. Trust me. I'm not letting that dude off the hook. Isn't it funny how mortal, how average T.J. Finley looked against the defensive coordinator who actually had a game plan? who actually had a game plan, and his players executed on it. Isn't it funny how that works, by the way? 17 to 32, 188 yards, and a touchdown for him. He also, also sacked one time. But isn't it funny, right? Isn't it funny how that works out? Isn't it funny? Again, guys, I, I'm just – I'm a rush of emotion right now, truly. Um, you know, you were out gained 379 to 306. But, but that, that, that game, guys, can be can – be, easily summarized in just that that was pure will and determination what you saw Saturday night that that was will and determination to get the job done that that truly was um you know again I thought Jason Brown gave you a very Jason Brown type performance uh very similar to what we saw against Florida right again 157 yards yes he threw the bad interception but outside of that he did not put it in harm's way you finally got the run game going with 149 yards really 179 yards of course 30 of those were sack yardage um so 179 yards rushing, good enough to get the job done. So 
man, I, I just I, I'm like beyond words. And I, I'm just so happy for everyone involved with Gamecocks football. I'm so happy <clears throat> for this South kind of fan base more than anything, man. I, I'm so happy for each and every single one of you. And again, it feels going to be good, man. It feels going to be good. And I'll tell you this, folks, business is good when the Cox are winning. We love to see it. We love to see it. You know how much fun it is making content. You know how much fun it is making content, guys, after a game like Saturday, right? You know how much fun that is. Incredible. I said it on social media on Sunday afternoon. Guys, days like that and days like today, it reminds me why I love doing what I love doing so much. It reminds me why I love doing it so much. I love seeing Gamecock Nation just overjoyed and excited and ecstatic and optimistic because this fan base deserves it so badly. Deserves it so, so badly. You know, we talked after last season, this was a fan base, this was a football program that needed a hug, if you will. A hug. And God, doesn't it feel like that's what Shane Beamer provided? Just that breath of fresh air to this football program. And all the welcome home stuff and all the positive messaging, we talked about it all during the preseason, right? That's all fine and dandy. But I tell you what, when you win games like it won on Saturday, I, oh, man, it, it just, it does the trick. And, and I tell you too, man, it's really cool sitting here. Again, because if you really can keep perspective and you just take a moment, I know we stay very present moment. You just take a moment to look back on this season. And I think about all of the Mondays I've sat here recording this show, whether it be a victory Monday or a therapy Monday, all the Mondays I've sat here. It's just, it's almost emotional to think we are bowl eligible after all of the craziness that has happened this season. I mean, it really is, man. If you really have perspective and you think about it, you know, how we felt the Monday after A&M, how we felt the Monday after Vanderbilt, how we felt the Monday after ECU, every single one of them, really. It's just, it's been so awesome to watch this football team grow and believe in one another. And again, it has been far, far, far from perfect. Been far from perfect. But the bottom line is you found a way. And these guys are bought in. They believe in one another. They believe in Shane Beamer. And what a great place to start in regards to, you're seeing the foundation laid for this program right now. You're seeing it late. Again, just because you beat Auburn, just because you beat Florida, does you know, does that mean that Shane Beamer is going to win 10 games here and he's going to win a national title? No, right? Positively or negatively, no matter the results this year, it's not an indictment on Shane Beamer's future here long term. But, man, does it sure help. Does it sure help in regards to moving forward and building the program? Guys, I do want to say this, too, because you look at the statistics yet again, Gamecocks won the time of possession battle, which you talked about how big of a deal that was. Uh, went just one of nine on third down, by the way. Third downs continue to be a problem with this football team. But, hey, only three penalties. Like I said, guys, you did enough because statistically it wasn't a pretty game. It wasn't really a pretty game when you look at the stat sheet. But, again, stats are for losers in some respects. Stats don't tell the entire story, do they? Do they? To be down 14 to nothing and come back the way you did. And some of those throws Jason Brown made, I mean, that, that throw to, to Josh Van for the touchdown. And I'll tell you this too, guys. Hey, I, I, I am on whatever what Shane Beamer wants to do. I'm game with that. 
I am not sitting here telling you guys, hey, we got to keep Satterfield. We got to keep Satterfield. If Shane Beamer feels it's in this program's best interest to make the move and he's got another guy in mind, I don't mind. I don't care. But I will tell you this because this is a dude that's caught criticism all season long. If you're going to critique, and that's totally fine. And he's done enough this season to deserve that criticism. But if you're going to do that, my God, some of them play calls on Saturday night, you've got to tip your cap to that offensive staff. You've got to tip your cap to Marcus Satterfield. That's a Quandre White fourth down play. Absolutely a thing of beauty. Absolutely a thing of beauty. And then the freaking fullback pass to Trey Jones with a touchdown, which guys sent me sent me back to 2010 against Clemson. You might remember when Steven Garcia play action rolled out, hit Patrick DeMarco for the touchdown, reminded me so much of that play. It just, things lined up for the Gamecocks. Things lined up. And again, once you got the offense sort of going, once you got some run game, your defense absolutely took over in that second half. I mean, what that defense did in the second half, guys, again, we're really starting to, I feel like we almost take it for granted because we're like, oh yeah, the defense has just improved. The defense is just good. I mean, I know that all season we've been locked in and focused on the offense, and I totally get it. I totally get it because it's been a struggle. But, God, I think we really do all need to take a second to sit back and say, job well done by Clayton White. And guys that were were not necessarily big-time contributors last year or throughout their entire careers playing their best football, I don't think that's by accident. You look at a guy like Darius Rush, was all over the field on Saturday night, making plays, making plays. And again, guys, I keep preaching on it, but the resiliency, the mental toughness. The Gamecocks were the mentally tougher team on Saturday night. The mental toughness. A guy like Darius Rush, who gets beat on a couple plays early, doesn't hang his head, doesn't pout, doesn't feel bad for himself. He takes it upon himself to make up for it and make a play and then make another play and then make another play. And we got a lot of guys like that on that defensive side. Damani Staley had a fantastic game. Mo Cobb at the linebacker position. Of course, J.J. Nambari is the heart and soul, you know, sitting where I was sitting, row 15 of Section 8, getting to see the body language and the raw emotion. So awesome. Incredible. Incredible to see Jalen Foster doing his thing, of course. Brad Johnson making big plays. Just name after name after name. And then, guys, like I said, offensively, hey, once the offensive line got going, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy how good this offense looks when we have some semblance of a running game. And I'll tell you again, guys, because, hey, I want to mention the other guys that toted the rock. It was really a two-man show, but Kevin Harris, 13 carries for 63 yards, 4.8 yards per carry. Juju McDowell had one carry. Marshawn Lloyd, I don't know what happened to him, did not touch it. But I'm telling you, man, Zaquandre White, again, take the keys to the city, run with him, do whatever you want. Hot boy for Heisman. <laughs> hot boy for Heisman, folks. Hot boy for Heisman. That's how I feel about it. Hot boy for Heisman. Uh, just truly remarkable, incredible. Uh, you know, the job he, he's done, electric. Kid's electric. Kid is absolutely electric. Josh Van, continue to be a big-time playmaker for you. Three for 37 and a touchdown. Xavier Leggett with a big catch. One for 20, but a big one, if you will. Dak Joyner making a play. Nick Muse. And I tell you, it's so much fun to watch our guys having fun it's so much fun to watch our guys having fun because i'll tell you again guys i mentioned shane beamer and the kudos to him and you know he deserves it the coaching staff absolutely deserves it 
But to see our players playing with such joy and raw emotion and for a group that has been through so much over the last year or so, and really the past couple of years, because 2019 was a mess as well, could not be happier, man. And you heard Shane Beamer (coughs) express that in the postgame, but could not be happier for this group. I mean, truly, man. Fighting through all the adversity, all the struggle, and all the turmoil, and all the negativity. And now you find yourselves, like I said, guys, my biggest takeaway, we can talk about the offensive line. We can talk about the defense. We can talk about Clayton White. My biggest takeaway, guys, is simply, we're going bowling, baby! We're going bowling. You can catch us in a bowl game in Shane Beamer's first season. Incredible, man. Incredible. Cheers. Cheers to you all. Uh, Truly, truly. Cheers to all those who have been following along with us throughout this ride. At times, we doubted. We truly doubted this day was going to happen. But here we are. The 2021 Gamecocks are going bowling after a gutsy, gutsy win on Saturday. Remarkable, man. Remarkable. Again, another round of applause. I I, I just, you know, again, some of our shows, some of my shows are very, very buttoned up, put together. Uh, The analysis is concise. The points kind of go one after another after another. I know I'm just kind of rambling all over the place today, guys, but I am so filled with emotion, and I'm so giddy, and I'm so happy, and I'm so ecstatic and so grateful for everything that's going on. This is what you get, man. And uh, I know we're all celebrating today. We're celebrating together. And it's also the big one upcoming this weekend. So it feels going to be good, folks. It feels going to be good. And it feels good to be going to a bowl game. And uh, we're going bowling, baby. We're going bowling. But, hey, the job's not done yet. Hey, let's hand out some TSUS game balls while we're at it. Guys who went above and beyond on Saturday night. Again, you got to start, by the way. He won the Cock of the Walk Award last week, guys. So in case you're wondering, that's why he's not getting this, getting it this week because we try to spread the love. But the winner, or excuse me, the winner of the Cock of the Walk Award last week, of course, we got to give him a game ball. Zaquandre White, the job he did on Saturday night, incredible. I mentioned his stats earlier, but again, it's worth noting once again, 16 carries for 99 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. And also, in the passing game, three catches for 69 yards and a touchdown. He was all over the field. I mean, you think about it, guys. He accounted for over half of your offensive production. Just incredible. Just incredible job by Zaquandre White. My second game ball, sticking with offense. I got to give one to quarterback Jason Brown, man. I I I tell you this. I was critical of Jason Brown early in the season, as you all know, and we went through the apology thing after the Florida game and stuff like that. Again, He's not a Heisman Trophy winner. He's not going to be all conference. But for a kid that had basically no offers out of high school, and you talk about facing adversity and facing the doubters and facing criticism, and I was one of them. I was one of them. The job he's done since taking over, being that field general, you know, 10 of 15, three touchdowns, 157 yards, and that's all while being sacked four times, being under that type of duress and pressure. Tip your freaking cap, man. Tip your freaking cap to what Jason Brown has done with this football team in his short time as the starter. Uh, job well done. So, again, he gets a game ball. And then, guys, my final game ball. How about we show some love 
to the scoreboard operator. How about that freaking guy? And if you don't know what I'm talking about, the play on the punt that, yes, without a doubt, hit the knee of the Auburn player, the Auburn uh, blocker, if you will, without a doubt, hit his knee. But the scoreboard operator showing that replay and zooming in and going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and making sure that we all saw it. Hey, kudos to you, my friend. A beer is on me if I ever meet you in person. So cheers to that scoreboard operator. That was incredible to see, incredible to watch. Obviously a huge point in that ball game. Carolina ball, Carolina win. Absolutely incredible. So again, congratulations to our winners of the TSUS game balls, Quandre White, Jason Brown, and the scoreboard operator. Very well deserved. Guys, let's move to our slap big of the weekend. And this one's simple. This one's easy. You guys already know, if you know me at all, Mike Bobo, come on down, sir, and get your slap big of the weekend award. He was already a slap big coming into the game. We all knew that. All my homies hate Mike Bobo. But that play call, I mean, the most Mike Bobo of Mike Bobo play calls, folks, that play call at their own 30. And instead of handing the ball off, you run a play action pass 25 yards down the field. I mean, that was just lunacy, pure lunacy. I mean, can you imagine if Marcus Satterfield called that play? Oh, my God. He wouldn't be able to get out of the stadium. Would not have been able to get out of the stadium. So, hey, he was a slap dick before the game. He was a slap dick during the game to our satisfaction. And guess what? He's a slap dick after the game. Mike Bobo, congratulations. You're the slap dick of the weekend. You know what? You might just be the slap dick of the season. The slap dick of the century, sir. Hold that L with pride, Mike Bobo, you son of a bitch. Um, all right. Moving into the cock of the walk award. I, I got a little emotional there. Moving into the cock of the walk award, though. And I wanted to be sure to show this guy love. I wanted to be sure to show this guy love. And again, guys, like you know, I change up the winner of this award each and every single week because I really do try to spread the love to all of our guys that ball out. But this dude, somebody that has not gotten talked about nearly as much as some others, and I totally get it, right? I totally get it. His role, his position, it's not glamorous, if you will. But not only did he have a touchdown, but I think his impact has been so substantial in the development of this offense. And when it's played well, he's had a big role in it. So again, the cock of the walk award for this week goes to none other than Gamecocks fullback, Trey Jones. Trey Jones, of course, with the touchdown reception on Saturday night. But guys, like I said, I think too, his role and his impact, I think it has been felt so much when we didn't even notice it with him at the fullback position. So again, Kudos to Trey Jones, man. Kudos to Trey Jones. A job well done. The touchdown reception, which was absolutely awesome. Big man touchdown. I mean, that was absolutely incredible. That was in the end zone I was sitting in. Um, just, just awesome, dude. I mean, you just love to see that really creative play call and for it to work and him to make the catch and score. And, I mean, that was just awesome, man. I just no, no, no other way to put it. No other way to put it. It just puts a big smile on your face. So, again, the winner of the Cock of the Walk Award. Mr. Trey Jones, congratulations. Again, guys, that's going to do it for my Auburn breakdown. We're going to be talking about it, celebrating it all week long as the Gamecocks have officially punched their ticket to bowl eligibility. Let me say that one more time. The Gamecocks have punched their ticket 
to bowl eligibility in Shane Beamer's first season. Wow, man. What a ride. What a ride, and it ain't over yet. All right, guys, on that note, let's move into our news and notes because, guys, like I told you, with that being said, we're fired up about Auburn. We're going to talk about Auburn. We're going to give that victory that it deserves, that attention that it deserves, I should say, but it is rivalry week. It is rivalry week. We all know what looms this weekend as the Clemson Tigers come to Williams-Brice Stadium to take on the Gamecocks at a 7.30 home kickoff. And, of course, on Sunday, the line from Vegas officially dropped. Carolina opening as a 14-point underdog to Clemson. I will leave it at that. I will leave it at that. We will talk best bet on Wednesday. We will talk SEC gambling picks. Again, I have a lot of thoughts. I have a lot of comments in regards to that line from Vegas, but I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. Do with the information what you will, but just so you know, the Gamecocks open as a 14-point underdog to Clemson. Do with that information what you will. I'll give my full thoughts on it on Wednesday's show. Also, guys, just a quick update on the women. A quick update on the women. Dawn Staley's squad taking down Buffalo on Saturday night in the Battle for Atlantis. Right now, currently, as we're recording this, Carolina up big against the ninth-ranked Oregon Ducks, uh, up by about 22 points or so, playing for a spot in the championship game. Zaya Cook, as we speak, guys, leading the way with 20 points for Don Staley's team. And tonight, it sounds like it's shaping up to be a matchup against the UConn Huskies. Need I say more? Need I say more? A huge game, a huge matchup for Don Staley and crew early in this season. So, again, uh, really, really good stuff for them in that tournament. We'll have full coverage of basketball all throughout the week as well. As again, of course, the men play tomorrow night. Uh, women play again on Friday. This tournament's still going on. But, uh, yeah, great stuff. I mean, Dawn Staley's squad, they just keep on keeping on, man. It don't matter who the opponent is. It don't matter. They're going to get the dub. They're going to get the dub, guys. We've talked plenty about them. All right. We got tons of questions, tons of voicemails as well as I, that I want to get to as we all continue to celebrate here on this Monday. Let's go ahead without further ado and dive into it. Hey, bro. This your boy, Lance. Okay. What a night will it be, man. I couldn't make it over to the tailgate night. What was they go cock? Now about that motherfucking roasters, baby. Hey, look here. Run the damn ball. Run the ball. What a great night. I have a boy over here, uh, Alabama fan. And uh, I just want to say go cock. And uh, all my homies, we hate Mike Bobo. Go cock. Love you, man. See you later. My boy Lance, appreciate you calling in, dog. Love you too. Deleting Bush lattes, I'm sure, as is tradition, as is on brand for my guy Lance Flair. Yeah, man, incredible night. Incredible night. Glad you got to enjoy it. Definitely looking forward to seeing you at the tailgate this weekend. An apocalyptic day to be a cold Bush latte. That is a fact. Chris, my man, what a game, what a night. Had the guys after the bad start, down 15 nothing, having termination, willpower, just just bringing energy and, and turning the around the fourth down. What a play call. Quadre White came out of Josh Van Kane said, how about this defense? Like, I know the running defense was about what we just 
basically got his yard. Uh, but thing all over the three in the second fan after being down something and ending might vote a big fat L. Just take the L. We know what we got waiting for us next week. We know it's ahead of us, but let's enjoy the hell out of this one. Right now we are going bowling, baby. Six and five. Go cops. Tim, love hearing from you, man. Appreciate the call. Yeah, again, you, you mentioned it at the beginning of your call as well. The the determination, the resiliency, the mental toughness, guys. Like I told you, we can talk statistics and talk quarterback play and defensive scheme. We can break all that down, but really what stands out is just the resiliency. Like I said, the mental toughness, the willingness to compete, the want to. I mean, going down 14 nothing. I know you were at home, but – everything was going against you. You had every right. You could have just folded like a cheap tent. Absolutely not. This team brought the energy. They brought it to Auburn. They punched back. They fought back. That's what makes this thing so damn sweet. Um, And like you mentioned, too, we got a big week. We all know it's Clemson week, and we're going to be making tons of content around that and all that good stuff and talking about that game. But Gamecock fans, celebrate the hell out of this one, at least for today. You've got permission from yours truly. Celebrate this one, man. Celebrate the hell out of this one. Because, damn it, it feels good to be good, and it feels good to be bowling. I can tell you that much right now. Incredible stuff. Uh, all right, let's jump to our next voicemail here. What's up, Gamecock fans? Um, I'm Mary Lee, and I just wanted to say that tonight's game was absolutely insane. I feel like energy definitely has an impact on how we play and further throughout the season. I feel like we definitely need twice the amount of energy that we had tonight for the Clemson game, and I feel like 100% we can do this if we get there. Mary Lee, great stuff. Great call. I appreciate you calling in. Uh, Yeah, I I said it earlier in the show, and I'll say it again. You know, Shane Shane Beamer, one thing he's done, he's made – Football games at Williams-Brice Stadium, very fun to watch again. And the energy inside the building was incredible. Shout out to Gamecock Nation. I do agree with you. Let's be bigger, badder, louder, crazier for the Clemson game. Our guys feed off of it. I mean, there's absolutely no question that home field advantage. We all know how special Williams-Brice Stadium is, but Mary Lee, you make a fantastic point. Let's pack Williams-Brice Stadium. Guys, I'll tell you this right now. If you've got tickets, you can't go for some reason. Somebody you know can't go. Get in touch with me. We will make sure that a Gamecock fan is in that seat because I want every single seat inside williams Bryce Stadium filled for that game on Saturday night. So, again, Mary Lee, thank you so much for the call. Uh, truly appreciate your insight and perspective. Thank you so much. Hey, Chris, I just wanted to call this morning and talk to you for a minute. I won't be able to call in this week because I'm going to be busy polishing up my resume. Um, yeah, it's just like me. I, I do have a question for you, Chris, if you could send me a message later. I couldn't find no sweet tea in Columbia. Everything I got was unsweet. Mm-hmm. Kind of made me a bit mad on that one. Yeah, I know you probably want to ask me about that fourth and one play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was actually standing there on the sideline, uh-huh, and I flipped a coin, and it it came up, and I said, well, I reckon we're going to call that play action pass. <laughs> it, Coach Henry said, why ain't we going to run tank? And I said, I think this will work better. We have a chance to score a touchdown with it. Mm-hmm, yeah, <laughs> well, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. I still don't 
ain't that ball touched that boy on the backside. But, you know, yeah, we had the same thing happen to us when I was there and we played in Tennessee. Yeah. All right, well, it is Sunday, so it's time for my Bible lessons. I've got to go. I will talk to you later, Chris. Bye. Sling Blade, saving the best for last. We had to hear from Sling Blade after the Auburn game. I, I'm, I'm really proud, by the way, that Sling Blade had the courage to call in on this Sunday, or excuse me, on this Monday. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed he had the stones to call in and face the music after the Gamecocks got that W. So, again, Sling Blade, incredible, <laughs> incredible. Always uh, – yeah, always making yours truly laugh. And again, thank you guys all so much, all those who called and left voicemails. Guys, let's get into your listener questions, and we'll dive into our interview. Ashley 3 Powell says, thoughts on Clemson. Hey, the focus already shifts when it's rivalry week. The thought and the focus shifts to Clemson. Um, I- I'll tell you this. This is as excited as I have been, and I know you probably all as well, but this is as excited as I've been for the rivalry in quite some time. And I'll tell you this on a personal note, you know, of course, guys, you know, I moved here in August of 2019. And so I've had one rivalry week to really speak of because, of course, last year the game wasn't even played. And that rivalry week living here was cool, but we knew going in that game with the spread, you know, I think the Gamecocks opened it with like a 24 and a half point underdog. And, you know, the season had been terrible to that point. We knew it was by far a long shot that South Carolina was going to win the football game. Now, coming into this week, actually feeling like it is very, very realistic that South Carolina could beat Clemson, having them at home at night. I mean, I'm fired up. I'm fired up again. We're going to break it all more down uh, later in the week, but how can you not be excited? How can you not be fired up? I'll tell you what, if you're not pumped up for this one, you simply don't have a pulse. You simply do not have a pulse. So, yeah, I'm excited, Ashley. I'm excited. Uh, Keith Gafton says bowling season, baby beer ball is back and ready for the next opponent. Clem sucks. Indeed. We're going bowling. We're going bowling. Dante for says hot boy is my hero. Dude. Give him the keys to the freaking city. Like I said, Jay, Jay McClary, 28, one of the most electric Gamecock crowds I've felt in a while. I was a quandary white is a stud RB one. That was incredible. Yeah. It, kudos to Gamecock nation. Man. Like I said, for showing up, showing out, it was an incredible crowd, incredible crowd. And the impact was certainly felt. Uh, Krusty Andy says, F Mike Bobo. I hear you. Big Guffy says, three conference wins. We were picked to win three and a half total. That is all. Yeah, truly. Again, half perspective. Perspective, my friend. Uh, American Offshore is just a gritty, ragtag bunch of kids. Yeah, I, I tell you, man, you, you, you got to give a lot of credit to the players. You know, I, I've been critical of the roster and your shortcomings and what you don't have. And listen, South Carolina still has a lot of deficiencies and areas they need to improve in recruiting. But kudos to these players for buying in believing in one another, battling, being mentally tough. And, uh, you know, again, I, I always cite this conversation, but as my good friend Perry Orth told me, when Shane Beamer was hired, you can do so much more with so much less when guys are bought in. And that's what you're seeing. That's what you're seeing, bottom line. Uh, last question or last statement, if you 106 underscore says, we should only have two losses this year. Hey, you could argue it. You could argue it for sure. You could argue it for sure. So what an incredible season, man. Again, six and five, and the work is not done yet. The job is not done yet as the arch rival, the hated rival, awaits us on Saturday. 
going to be one hell of a week, folks. Again, appreciate the questions. Appreciate the voicemails, guys. They don't go anywhere. we got a great conversation, great throwback interview with former South Carolina quarterback Corey Jenkins. Again, we talked about his great career in the Garnet and Black. Guys, again, thank you all so much for tuning in. We're going to continue to break this thing down all week long, talking the Auburn Tigers, that big 21-17 to win, the Gamecocks punching their ticket to a bowl game, as well as, of course, looking ahead of the weekend as it is rivalry week. To hell with Clemson. To hell with that team when he upstate. Again, let's celebrate this one against Auburn. We'll look ahead of that game very, very, very soon, I promise. Great day to have a day. Feels good to be good, folks. Enjoy this one. Enjoy your Monday and enjoy this conversation with former Gamecocks quarterback, Corey Jenkins. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played quarterback for the Gamecocks from 2001 to 2002 when he amassed 2,486 all-purpose yards and 14 touchdowns. He was also taken in the first round of the 1995 MLB draft by the Boston Red Sox and was drafted in the sixth round of the 2003 NFL draft by the Miami Dolphins after his South Carolina career. He also spent a short stint with the Gamecocks as strength and conditioning coach and is now an assistant football coach at South Carolina State, coaching tight ends and fullbacks for the Bulldogs. I'm very, very excited to welcome the show. Former Gamecocks quarterback, Corey Jenkins. Corey, appreciate you taking the time, man, and it's a pleasure to have you on. Good, appreciate it, man. How you guys doing? Pleasure to have, pleasure you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely doing well. So like I was talking with you, uh, you know, before the show off air, Corey, I, for one, had no idea. You came up, let's go back to the beginning with you, because you are not just a football player. You are a multi-sport athlete. You come out of Columbia, South Carolina. You went to Dreer High School. Um, you were a three-sport three star, and you were taken in the first round, 24th overall by the Boston Red Sox. So you were one heck of a baseball player. Um, just talk about kind of your life coming up, I guess, you know, especially in high school and when you were taken by the Red Sox. I'm assuming that was a no-brainer. Um, you know, that you would go play baseball. But just kind of talk about your upbringing and, you know, all the different sports that you played. You know, my, my whole thing was, man, um, you know, everybody has a story. You know, um, every athlete has some type of story that people can look at and be like, wow, man, he made it through this, he made it through that. Um, I grew up literally 10-minute walk from William Bryce Stadium. I grew up in a place called Off the Town. And, of course, it wasn't the best of areas to live in. Um, you know, I grew up with a single parent with um, – 11 brothers and sisters, you know? So um, we we got to the point to where sports was a way out for us. You know, it was a way to keep us kind of out of the streets, out of doing things we didn't have any business. Um, and for myself as a kid, of course, we always, you know, I did things that were wrong and, you know, we, we all done that. But, you know, sports was kind of my saving grace. Um, but I was a pretty good student too. Let me also put that out there that uh, my mom wouldn't have it no other way. Um, if we didn't do well in school, then we didn't play sports. And I love sports enough to do well in school. So, you know, I played football, played basketball, played baseball. You know, I just tried to keep busy year-round. Um, and, uh, you know, going into high school, um, it started off my eighth-grade year. I played varsity baseball in high school. Um, and my brother, D. Jenkins, was a senior at, at high school. And we went. Uh, he went to Dreher High School, and I was at Hand Middle School. Um, and my brother was actually being – um, he was being scouted by scouts as well. And uh, he wound up getting drafted in the 42nd round that year when I was in the eighth grade. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to follow his footsteps. And he saw a bigger picture before I did. You know, as an eighth grader, you just really just want to go out and play. You, you, Of course, we all think, you know, I want to play Major League Baseball. I want to play NFL football. That's just about every athletic kid's dream growing up. 
And if it's not, then he he's not he he shouldn't even be playing. You know, if kids don't have an inspiration and and an aspiration to to get to the big leagues, then you know they they shouldn't do it. You know, and not saying that everybody's gonna make it because we know everybody's not gonna make it, but you gotta have that drive to want to do so, and it's a fun thing to do. And again, you know, I, I, I followed my brother's footsteps, and he was drafted. And so throughout high school, I just, you know, stuck with football, stuck with baseball. I played basketball. Um, and just, you know, trying to keep myself busy, trying to be an athlete, trying to be better than my brother was. And my brother was pushing me to be better than he was because he played all three sports. He played football. He played basketball. He played baseball. So, you know, he, he was pushing me to be better. And so I, I thrived to be better. And the next thing you know, you know, I was uh, I started getting recruiting letters in football as a as a freshman in high school, as a ninth grader. Um, and throughout my high school career, you know, the college football letters continued to pour in. And I was wondering why baseball letters wasn't coming. Why wasn't schools recruiting me for baseball? So I started thinking, well, maybe I'm not as good in baseball as as people say I am. But then I started seeing scouts, you know, major league scouts at the baseball games. And my brother then started to inform me like, hey, man, you, you got a real chance to be a first round draft pick. And, you know, I don't know when he saw it. He may have saw it when I was a little kid or he may have saw it after he got drafted. I don't know when he saw it, but he saw it. And he pushed for me to be that way. And the next thing you know, um, I was graduating high school. And on my graduation day, I was drafted by the Red Sox in the first round, the 24th pick. Was baseball your first love or was it just something that you were good at? I mean, what, what, did you prefer baseball over the other, other two sports? <laughs> It's one of those things where my favorite sport is whatever season it is. You know, I, I could never say I love baseball more than I love football. Or I love football more than I love baseball. My mentality is that of a football player because I am a kind of kind of a very enthusiastic, adrenaline-type guy. And in baseball, you more so got to be kind of calm and laid back and relaxed um, because that's the way you play that game. Football is one of those games, yeah, you're relaxed, but your blood is pumping like no other. And baseball actually gave me and my family uh, a chance to to live a life that I've always dreamed of living. And, you know, that happened. And, you know, when I was a first-round draft pick, I said, man, you know, I would be crazy not to take this money. This is more money than my mom has ever seen in her entire life. You know, she wouldn't have to struggle. She wouldn't have to work if she didn't want to. And so, yes, I do I love baseball? I did. I, I can sit here and watch a full nine-inning baseball game right now. Um, but that was a way for me to repay her for all that she's been through. And I love playing the game, and I was following my brother's footsteps like I wanted because he was in the minor leagues with the Cincinnati Reds at the time. You talked about, Corey, that some other schools, as far as the football side of things, were sending you letters, recruiting you. Was South Carolina amongst those those bunch of schools? Or who, who were the schools oh, that showed you the most interest? Yeah, South, yeah. South, South Carolina was definitely one of them. Um, I got I got some a lot of love from that school up up top by Greenville up there, that orange and white school. Right. Um, I, I got a lot of love from those guys too. Um, and I was recruited by just about everybody in in the Southeastern Conference, um, even some ACC schools. But I think my biggest surprise was I had a, a full scholarship offer from Notre Dame, and that was that was really surprising and shocking to me because you know that's one of them teams you see on TV every Saturday back in those days when, you know, back in the early 90s, you know, mid-90s when Notre Dame was just 
one of those teams that everybody looked at like, oh, my God, Notre Dame, gold helmets. You know, and, and, and I was pretty excited about that. I had, you know, Georgia. I had Alabama. I had uh, Miami. I had North Carolina State, North Carolina out of ACC. So I had a good bit of schools. And, you know, the, the, the choice was really tough at first. But then one morning I woke up and I said, well, why am I making this harder than what it really is? I said, I'm going to South Carolina. I already knew. You know, I knew that from the time I was eight years old. At eight years old, um, with us living 10 minutes from the stadium, we would walk to the stadium and get there early so we could try to get in the game, sell sodas, and sell peanuts. And that was a way for us to make extra money. And so my first game I attended, I didn't make a lot of money because I was so excited and jacked up by all the people in the game and just seeing how big the field look and looking at the players. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play right here at home. And I thought back to those days that one morning when I woke up and I said, that's where I'm going to school. This is where I always wanted to play. I wanted to play in my backyard. And so that's what made me choose South Carolina. So that's who I signed with out of high school. No doubt. So, Corey, let's let's stick with your baseball career for just a second because you played professional baseball in the minor leagues from 1995 to 1999, bounced around from – rookie ball to low A to single A to even double A. Um, just kind of just summarize your your minor league career. You were an outfielder, obviously. I mean, what did you learn? What was it like? We obviously, you know, we've talked with uh, some other Carolina baseball players and guys who have played at that level. And, you know, we mm-hmm. all know about the struggle, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, the bus rides, that, that is all a real thing. Oh, yeah, just yeah, t- talk yeah. about your experience at the minor leagues. You know, for, for me, it was definitely a, a time for me to grow up and be out on my own. You know, for the first 18 years of my life, I never left home. You know, I've never been away from my mom. You know, I've been out of South Carolina um, to maybe play a game or something somewhere but or, or go somewhere with my mom, but I've never been away from my mom because, you know, my mom's just – she's been – she was everything to me. She is everything. And for me, you know, it was more so, okay, I know how to do this stuff because I learned it at home. I learned how to cook. I learned how to wash clothes. I learned how to keep my room clean because that's stuff my mom taught us. And playing in the minor leagues, you know, you those bus rides, people, you know, look at them as being really grueling and, and really tough. I look at them. I look at them as a very, very good experience. And even then, I was like, man, this ain't that bad, you know, even though it was. But you're on a bus with 25, 30 other guys that are from completely different necks of the wood than you are, you know, completely different backgrounds. You know, you got white guys, you got black guys, you got Cubans, you got Puerto Ricans, you got people from everywhere. You got people from Maine, you got guys from Oklahoma, you know, you got from all over the country. And you get to interact with guys, something that a lot of people don't get to do. You get to learn about different cultures. And at one time I was pretty fluent in Spanish because we had a ton of Spanish guys on our team. And the 15-hour bus rides, you know, I won't say they're all pleasurable. But, again, I look at them as like I'm not a guy that's afraid to get on the road and travel. So it wasn't that bad to me. Even being that young, I I found it as being exciting. Now, right now, if you tell me I got to get on a bus for 15 hours, I'll be like, (laughs) oh, no, I can't do that. You know, no, that won't be any fun. But I was just excited to be away from home and just be playing. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where baseball is one of those – deals that you have to be mentally strong in order to move forward. It's not about the physical presence. It's not about if you can hit a curveball or if you can hit a changeup. Now you have to do those things. But because the schedule is so grueling for so long, 
you know, you, you're not playing just on every Saturday or on every Sunday for 10, 10 to 12 weeks. You know, you're playing every day of the week. You might get one, maybe two days off a month. Other than that, you're playing and you're doing that for three or four months at a time. You know, that's, that's pretty tough. People don't think it's grueling, but that's, that's like going to nine to five every day and you love your job. And even though you love your job, it's still hard to get up some mornings and be like, oh man, I got to go to work today. Love my job, but oh, I don't feel like getting up today. So it was definitely a learning lesson for me just just to experience that whole entire minor league deal. Corey, was there ever a point where you felt like you were close to breaking into the show? I mean, I know I was looking at your stats. 97 looked like it was your best year. You had 18 homers and 62 RBIs. Um, I, I know double A was the highest you ever made it, but uh, was there ever a point in your career you felt like you were you were no, really, I, really close to breaking through the like MLB I, level? Yeah, that that year of 97 that's when I felt like I was going to kind of turn a curve you know I felt like I was starting to see the ball much better I was hitting the ball much better um I was in a groove to a point to where I was finding confidence in myself telling myself cool you can play this game this game is a piece of cake to you you can play this game with no problem you know and then you know got to double a and that didn't go so well and I attribute not going well to not being mentally strong with having other things that go on in life affect you at your job. And that's one thing that baseball taught me. You know, you can't let outside things that go on in your life affect you when you go to work. And I had some things going on here at home um, with my mom and and my agents and all that stuff. And uh, that kind of took my mindset away from baseball. So after that year of 97, I just, I wasn't really mentally there. baseball my mind was always back at home worrying about my mom and you know trying to do things to make sure things are straight and you know at the end I said you know what I just need to go back and play football I want to come home you know help my mom out get her back squared you know get us back on track as a family and uh then I landed at South Carolina yeah, so you were released in 1999 after again a very long minor league career when you're released Corey I mean, did your mind, like you were talking about, did it just directly go to, I'm going to go back to South Carolina and play football? I mean, what was the, what was the thought process like after your release? Well, the thing about it, my release came because I asked for it. Um, And when I, you know, when I got released, I had teams call and saying, Hey man, we want you to come here. We want you to come there. We want you to come and play. And I said, you know, right now I got some personal issues I have to deal with. So I'm going to go home and deal with my personal issues. Um, I got home and I was talking to my mom and, you know, she was like, well, what you going to do? I said, well, I'm probably going to go back and play. And it was actually during college football season. And I wound up turning the television on and I saw Quincy Carter playing quarterback. Now me and Quincy Carter both were drafted the same year in baseball. And we, he wound up, we had the same agents for baseball and we wound up meeting. We wound up hanging out. We were knowing each other. We, we even lived together for a short stint about a couple months in the off season because he came here to Columbia and worked out with us. Um, and I said, mom, you know what? I'm going to go to school and play football. And she was like, you sure you want to do that? I was like, without a doubt. And, and at that moment I knew I was going back to school to play football. Talk about, cause you, like you said, you, it was never a doubt in your mind. You were going to South Carolina. You wanted to stay in your backyard. 
Um, obviously, Lou Holtz hired at South Carolina in 1999. Just, just talk about the first interactions with him. and What was that like? Did you reach out to him and just let him know you were interested? I mean, what was kind of the yeah. recruiting process, I guess, like for you, if you will? Well, for me, I, it was just I, I went up there and I, and I talked to Coach Holtz. I met with him. I said I wanted to sit down and talk to him. So they set up a meeting. Um, his secretary said, you know, come back on whatever day, such and such. And I walked in his office, and the first thing, he said, hey, Corey, you know, how you doing? I said, hey, Coach Holtz, how you doing? He says, man, I recruited you in high school because when I was in high school, he was the head coach at Notre Dame. And um, it was one of those deals where he knew exactly who I was, which I felt pretty good about. I was like, oh, I must have been all right in high school, you know. And his, his words to me was, you know, we would love to have you here. He said, but for the next two or three days, I'm going to find out what kind of bad information I can find out about you. <laughs> And I was, you know, that kind of took me for a loop. And I was like, uh, okay. You know, but I knew he wasn't going to find anything because, you know, I hadn't really done, I hadn't done anything bad to where, you know, he would find out any information about me. And, uh, you know, I don't know what he did. I don't know who he checked with. I don't know who he talked to, but he, you know, I, I went back up there three days later and he said, you know, we got a scholarship for you. You know, now we just got to check the grades and make sure everything is squared away there. And that was history. For sure. So let's talk about it, Corey. You get on campus, obviously. Was it was it 2000 or 2001 that you officially were on the team and got on campus? Uh, it was – I think it was 2000 because I played the 2000-2001 um, season, 2001-2002 season. Okay. okay. Um, so okay. I played the last year of the Outback Bowl. That was my first year at South Carolina. For sure. So, so I'm thinking that – yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say the 2001 season, like you were mentioning, um, obviously Phil Petty, the starting quarterback for the Gamecocks, like you said, South Carolina coming off of um, an Outback Bowl victory over Ohio State. Obviously, Lou Holtz had turned the program around. You mentioned Quincy Carter. I was curious for the game that you had tuned in to see him playing. Was the five-interception game that South Carolina sort of broke through and you could see the way the program was turning around under Lou Holtz. Um, Talk about, though, obviously, again, you played the quarterback position Talk about your relationship with Phil Petty, because again, I know in 2001, you more so sort of spelled him, if you will. Obviously, you were used in different right. situations. You were very effective, I might right. add, in those different situations. But just talk about your relationship with Phil Petty and what you learned from him in that 2001 season. Well, for me, you know, I, I, came, I came back as, uh, you know, as a quarterback. Um, when I first signed on to South Carolina, I wound up having to go to junior college for two years because of the core courses requirements and changes. And so I was actually going to Garden City Community College to play safety. And the day that I got there, their starting quarterback broke his collarbone, so they moved me to quarterback. And I wound up playing quarterback for two years at Garden City Community College. And so when I came back to South Carolina in 2000, 2001, you know, coach said, hey, you know, we're going to play you at quarterback. You're going to be a backup quarterback. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm I'm here to compete for a starting job. And, you know, of course, I've watched games. You know, I, I, I've watched and, and I knew who the starting quarterback was. And my relationship with Phil, we hit it off pretty good from day one. You know, it was, uh, you know, hey, man, I'm glad you're here. You know, um, because of Coach Holt's style of offense, you know, he likes to run the quarterback a lot. And we all know, you know, Phil's not a running quarterback. He's a very smart guy. He he reads defenses very well, but of course, running is not his strong suit. He can run the ball. He can get positive yards running. He did, but you know, we just, you know, we know him. I, I know Phil as a smart, sit in the pocket, pick you apart type of quarterback. 
And I learned a lot of things from him, man. You know, he taught me things about the offense. He taught me things about reading defenses. So my relationship with him actually became pretty good. And I told him, I said, man, I'm not here to try to take your job or I'm not here to try to sit you down. I'm here to help this team win. And and that's and whatever it is that I need to do or whatever role that I have to play, I'm ready, I'm ready for it. I'm willing to go play it. Yeah, Corey, you mentioned as far as, uh, you know, Lou Holtz obviously wanting to bring you in as a backup quarterback. Did he talk about what he wanted you to do as far as the uh, – as your role was concerned? Because, again, like you mentioned, I mean, you were used in a lot of different situations. I feel like South Carolina's offense sort of evolved under Lou Holtz. You know, obviously when you think of Lou Holtz, you think of the wing T formation, those, those stacked formations. But South Carolina, I feel like, really spread it out a lot more in 2001 especially. I mean, what, what was the specific role that he had for you? And did, what were the different packages, I guess, that, uh, you know, he wanted you to work out of? Well, he, of course, when I came in the game, it was, okay, we're going to pound it down your throat now because this kid can run the ball. He's a, he's a tough, physical athlete that's playing quarterback. You know, we can put him at different positions, but we're going to put him at quarterback. And when I look back on it, you know, that was, to me, was kind of the start of the Wildcat. You know, no nobody was really, I don't think, doing that type of offense. Um, he did that with Tony Rice at Notre Dame, you know, back in the day, and they wound up winning the national championship. And it just so happens my first day at practice, I go in my, go in my locker and I got a, a number nine jersey. That's the same number Tony Rice wore at Notre Dame. So, which I was fine with. You know, I, I didn't mind. One of the guys kind of threw that out there. And uh, Skip, you know, was more so the guy that said, hey, you know, here's your packages. Here's what we're going to teach you. You know, here's what I want you to do. And, you know, they never really limited me on throwing the ball at first. You know, they, they I did it a lot in practice, and I did it some in games. But they wanted to use my strength, which was running the ball, just being tough, running between the tackles, using my speed, running outside, whatever it may be. And um, – that was my role my first year as, as a junior. You know, I was a backup quarterback to feel. And, you know, when the games got tight or, you know, when we needed those tough couple yards and we wanted to kind of kill the clock and run the ball a little bit, Corey Jenkins goes in the game. So, Corey, that 2001 season, let's really dive into it. You got limited action in the first game against Boise State, no action against Georgia. Uh, Mississippi State, the third game of the year at Mississippi State, which was a really emotional game. You guys brought back college football from 9-11, but you burst out on the scene, I feel like, that game. You had 11 carries for 75 yards, 6.8-yard average. Um, just just talk about that game a little bit, obviously, the emotions of that game, and do you feel like that was the game, obviously, you know, you know you're a good athlete, you know you're a very capable athlete, but, I mean, you hadn't played football in so long. Do you feel like that was the game where you sort of – came back on the scene and sort of told yourself, hey, I can, I can do this at a really high level? Well, I, I think I learned that when I was in junior college. I felt like, you know, my junior college record was like 24-2, and two, and we lost my, my second year as a uh, – we lost to Glendale, Arizona in the junior college national championship. Uh, my first year in JUCO, I was – started off as a backup quarterback, and we ran, a, we ran sort of the same offense we run at Carolina. And I wound up getting into the starting role and running. And so I knew that I could play at a high level. And that Mississippi State game just kind of solidified it for me. Um, to go out there on that one drive, you know, and, and that was – people don't understand. That was the one drive that I got in. The one drive I got in, I had 11 carries for, like you say, 77 yards. And we wound up getting the game-winning field goal on that play. 
you know, on that drive. And that, you know, that drive helped us win the game. And I just felt like, you know, that was the, the game that everybody in the country was watching because of 9-11. That was the first game after 9-11 that was being televised. And I think everybody just wanted something normal. And I wasn't thinking of it that way. I was just going out there to say, you know what, let's go out here and let's move this ball and let's go get a touchdown to kind of put this game away. And the rest is history. No doubt. So that 2001 season, obviously, Corey, very successful with the Gamecocks. Before Steve Spurrier got there, I mean, you could really argue it was one of the best seasons in Gamecock history. Still really is. I mean, South Carolina finished 9-3 and three overall, 5-3 and three in the SEC, and you know, finish it off with another win over Ohio State in the the uh, the Outback Bowl. I, I want to go to another game, though, during that 2001 season, and that is the home game against Clemson. Um, obviously, still one of the high, highest attended games at, at Williams-Brice Stadium. I think 85,000 on the dot were in the building that day. You had a rushing touchdown in that one, um, eight carries for 22 yards and a rushing touchdown. I know, again, you grew up in Columbia. I'm sure you were a Gamecock. You're someone very familiar with the rivalry. Um, just talk about that day in general and then how cool it was to uh, to contribute in a winning victory for the Gamecocks over Clemson. Man, let me tell you, I had no idea how much playing time I was going to get that game. I didn't know what was going to happen. I was like, but I got to play against these guys because I've been waiting to play against them for so long. And, you know, this is a big-time rival game, and I just feel like, you know what, I need to be a part of this. And um, in that game also, you know, it got down to – to crunch time and uh we needed to to score and we got down to the goal line and coach said all right Corey let's go you know and inserted me into the game and the next thing you know I had a game-winning touchdown run and so it was for me it was like one of the best feelings that I've had in college football to be a part of a, such a big win and victory against a team that's a big-time rival and I've come to learn that the fans take the game a lot more serious than the players do <laughs> so um but it was, it was a joy to be a part of that. For sure. So let's talk about a little bit that Outback Bowl, Corey. Obviously, the Gamecocks, again, beat Ohio State for the second straight year in a game that was a blowout for most of the time. Ohio State storms back, and then uh, Daniel Weaver seals it on a game-winning field goal. Gamecocks win 31-28. Just, just sort of encapsulate, I guess, that entire 2001 season, if you will, because, you know, you grew up, you knew, you're very familiar with the Gamecocks football program, and you know, the success or lack thereof it had had, you know, up to that point. To see South Carolina win back-to-back Outback Bowls, obviously, at that point was a huge, huge statement and huge stepping stone for the program. And to be a part of it for you, talk about what that was like to to be a part of that second straight Outback Bowl victory in that 2001 season in general. Well, man, I tell you, that was one of the biggest deals also to me. You know, being able to go down to Tampa and actually getting to see my first NFL game um, I got to watch Tampa Bay play the Ravens. And so that was my first live action of seeing an NFL game, um, being with the guys, hanging out at the bowl game. And you're playing against a Big 12 powerhouse team in Ohio State who is looking for, I'm sure, some type of revenge because of the year before. And we go out and we, we play a really tough and physical game and we jump out on them. And the next thing you know, Weaver comes in and he kicks a field goal. And, again, we win a game. You know, and I was happy to be a part of that game as well. So um, that was – I think that was a big stepping stone in, in South Carolina history. And I, I think that helped turn the program around big time with those two wins. No doubt. So, moving into the 2002 season, obviously, Corey, things changed a little bit for you. Phil Petty graduated and left. 
Um, you had, you know, you, you taking over as a starting quarterback role. Talk about that battle, I guess, in the offseason or really lack of lack thereof. What was that offseason like going into 2002? Did Coach Lou Holtz let you know that, you know, the position was yours to lose or was it a, an ongoing competition in the offseason? Just, just talk about your uh, – the, the battle for the starting quarterback job going to O two in that in in that O two season it was uh, free for all. We didn't have a starting quarterback. It was let's battle this out and see who's going to be the starting quarterback. And you know I went and talked with Coach Holtz, and the next thing you know I saw it to the he told me he said well we're not sure if we're going to leave that quarterback. We may move you over to defense because I think we may need you over there more than we have quarterback. But we're going to go through spring ball and we're going to see if. Dondrell and the other guys can get the job done as a starting quarterback. And so, you know, it was more so for me, I was just kind of the first first, first week or two, I was just kind of just going through the motions. You know, we were splitting reps with the ones and twos, and, you know, everybody just was getting equal amount of reps. And, you know, after that second week, Coach Holt said, hey, man, you're, you're going to be starting quarterback. So get your mind right to play quarterback. And that's what I did. Got my mind right to play quarterback. And, Next thing you know, going into the season, I was a starting QB. For sure. So, talk about did anything? What if? What if anything changed for you going into 2002, knowing you're the starting quarterback? Obviously, you burst on the scene in 2002. That first game, I would say against New Mexico State. I mean, 20 carries, 113 yards. You also threw for 166 yards and a touchdown. Um, I know you guys, especially coming off back-to-back Outback Bowl wins. You know, we all know 2002 season didn't go the way you wanted it, but I know the expectations were right. sky high. You open up with a blowout win. Um, Correct. Correct. What, what or what changed for you, if anything, going into that 2002 season? Well, I just I just wanted to dedicate myself more. Um, I knew I was going to be that guy, so I wanted to to come come in and and, and kind of lead the team in a way that I saw done the previous years. You know, I want I wanted to go out and say, you know what. If I'm going to be the starting quarterback here tonight, I got to carry myself with such, and I got to work hard, and I got to do things a certain way so that I can be that starting quarterback, so that I can be that leader. And um, so it wasn't really a, a big difference. I've always worked hard. I've always kind of pushed myself. And so I just, I just kind of felt like, you know, it's football. Go work hard. Go through the field, and, and let all the other guys see what you're doing. And so that's how I took it. No doubt. Like I mentioned, Corey, that, that 2002 season I thought was very, very interesting because there were a couple of games there that you guys were really, really close. I mean, I think at Virginia, the Georgia game, obviously, which I want to get to in just a second, uh, the Clemson game, you know, Tennessee, there were a lot of close games for you guys that year that really could have turned the tide of the season the other way. But the one I want to ask you about, Corey, specifically is the Georgia game because that's another one, like I mentioned, Clemson, one of the most sold-out games at williams Bryce Stadium. The environment, the intensity is – you know, through the roof, South Carolina's beaten Georgia two to- two years in a row, trying to go for three straight. Um, before I get to the play that you know I'm going to ask you about, talk about just the energy and intensity that you felt that day going into Williams-Brice. I'm sure running through 2001, running through the smoke had to be, had to be insane. You know, that, that day for me was probably the most electrifying day at Williams-Brice, except for the first day I ran out of this Ford State because then there was a doom concrete. But that game against Georgia, you know, we, we we had it in our minds. Like, we knew they were going to come in fired up because we beat them two years in a row, and the games have all been close, you know. And so coming out to 2001 on that, and it's like, 
oh man, sold out stadium. And then the, then, then the storm hits, you know, and I felt like we were in such a great rhythm before the rain came. <laughs> and when the rain came, that just kind of threw us off. And I'm like, oh man, now we got to sit down for an hour or so. And we got to watch the lightning and wait till everything clears. And I think that just kind of threw us out of the groove. Um, but that was very electrifying. That was one of the one of my funnest games ever planned, good and bad. <laughs> no doubt. So I, I unfortunately want to get to the bad though, Corey. Because, but I think this is really interesting because everybody knows about the David Pollock play. I feel like when I was growing up, it was something that was just replayed over and over and over and over and over it, again. It, but and it's, and it's still played. <laughs> it's still played whenever people and when people right. think of David Pollock, a lot of them think. I think Gamecock fans specifically think of that play, but. I don't know. I, I know for a fact I've never heard your side of the story. So from the guy on the other end of that play, um, talk about just that play in general, what you saw, I guess, what you didn't see, and just sort of how that play unraveled. Because obviously it was a crazy football play. I mean, tip of the cap to David Pollock, it was a fantastic play. But just a crazy football play overall and a play that obviously changed the, uh, changed the course of that game. Correct. Well, I mean, it was it – was, we, we were, you know, pin deep. Pin deep on our um, pin deep in, in our own territory, and so we we tried to get outside, you know, just kind of move the pocket, try to get them moved around. And uh, actually, Pollock was supposed to get cut on that play, and he fought it off. And he's a high motor, high energy type of guy, and, and you know, and I saw him coming, and and I went to kind of actually get rid of that ball, you know, just kind of throw it away. And uh, I think the rest is just kind of history <laughs> because. Um, that is one of those plays that happens once in a million years. You know, you, you, we hadn't seen a play like that since that time. You know, he, he went to bat that ball away, and normally, you know, you bat a ball away, that ball bats out of the end zone or bats down to the ground. But he goes to hit it, and the next thing you know, it hits off the top of my helmet, rolls down my back, and falls right into his arm as he's on the ground. So, uh, you know, there's not a whole lot I can do about it. How how shocked were you when you realized what had happened? Because, I mean, I, I just have to imagine, like you said, there's just no way that play can happen, and it did. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I looked at the ref and was like, oh, how is that a touchdown? Because I saw him with his arms up in the air, and I was like, how is that a touchdown? And he said, hey, man, he caught it. He caught it off your back, and I was like, oh, my God, how did that happen? So, of course, so of course, I had to, to, to watch it on the screen and, and see it, and, you know, it was it was more shocking after the fact because that was the only touchdown he scored that game. No doubt. So that 2002 season again, Corey, I, I don't want to keep harping on it. Didn't go the way that you guys wanted as a team. But overall, I think you had a pretty solid year. I mean, you scored 14 touchdowns overall, you know, ran for 956 yards. You threw for over 1,500 yards. How would you grade yourself or judge yourself on your first and really only year being a starting quarterback for South Carolina? Well, I mean, I felt like, again, we had a lot of games where the ball could have bounced several different ways, you know, and I don't feel bad about the season. We went five and seven. I felt like we played really, really hard every game we were into, and we had a chance to win just about every game that we played. And, uh, you know, again, football is one of those games where you got to kind of, you know, hope you get the ball to bounce your way sometimes. And, you know, that's how you get national championship teams and teams with really good records. You know, it's it's very seldom you see a team just blow everybody out and win games hands down. It's always one of those deals where, you know, if you have a really good season, you just you have the ball bounce your way sometimes. 
and we just couldn't get the ball to bounce our way doing that year. For sure. So one thing I wanted to ask you a little bit earlier, Corey, I forgot about it. Obviously, when you were in college, I mean, you were, let's see, what you were, I believe, what, a 25 and 26 years old or 24 and 25? Yeah, just, 24, 24, 25, right. 24, 25. <laughs> so obviously older than the, the typical freshman, sophomore, junior, whatever. Just kind of talk about what that dynamic was like. I mean, and I feel like probably just because of seniority as far as how much older you were, I mean, were you able to come in and take over as a leader pretty quickly because of that? Um, well, no, they, they looked at me as one of them. You know, they didn't look at me as an age guy, like, oh, that's a really older guy. He's a grown man. You know, they looked at me as, as being a teenage kid coming in to play football. So, you know, it, um, you know they, they, they took advantage of, some of the age stuff, <laughs> but for the most part, it was, uh, it was, I was pretty equal to all of those guys. No doubt. So let's talk about Corey, obviously a huge, uh, a huge date in your life. 2003, you're taking in the sixth round, 181st pick by the Miami Dolphins. You know, it's, it's impressive to be drafted in one sport by one team or by a team in one sport. But you're one of the rare people that has been drafted in the NFL and MLB draft. Talk about that moment in 2003. The Miami Dolphins give you the call. I, you know, I'm sure that playing professional football had been a dream of yours. But talk about when you got that call. What was that like? Uh, that was that was kind of one of those deals that you believe it and you, and you don't believe it. You know, um, I had no idea where I was going to go. I had no idea I was going to get drafted. You know, none of that stuff stood out to me. You know, with me changing positions that last game of the season and playing linebacker versus Clemson, I was just kind of, you know, happy just to be a game cog and graduate a game cog and just pray for the next deal. And when I got that phone call, it was, again, it was surreal. So I was extremely happy. But my next thought was, how am I going to make that team? <laughs> you know, Coach Wanstead called and said, hey, man, you know, we're going to draft in the sixth round right now with the next pick. Um, and we're going to bring in as a linebacker. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm like, I play linebacker one game and I get drafted as a linebacker. And I'm like, uh, but I was a football player. I didn't care where you played me at. I didn't care what position you put me at. I felt like I could play anywhere on the field. So I was excited about it. And the rest was history. What was that trans transition like for you from college to the NFL? Because like you said, I mean, not only are you going up in – I mean, skill level, which is a major jump, again, from college to the NFL, but you're changing positions as well. Um, just talk about that transition for you. Yeah, I, I don't think people understand how tough that is, how, how tough that was. Um, you know, when, when you change positions and you're at the highest level that you could play at, that's, that's very tough and very trying. But – Toughness is something that's hard to teach someone. And when you're a tough guy, when you love being physical, it kind of really doesn't matter what position they put you out. You can excel at it and ex excel at it. I'm sorry. And when they pulled me in and said, hey, you're going to play linebacker, I was that quarterback in college that never ran out of bounds. I didn't slide. I didn't take a knee. Like, either you're going to get me or I'm going to get you. I'm going to hit you in the mouth or you're going to hit me in the mouth. And that's the mentality I took when I went in um, to play linebacker with the Dolphins. And so I said, you know what? You just get to go hit them in the mouth now. And I enjoyed it. Every minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> of 
For sure. So you spent time with the Dolphins, the Bears, back with the Dolphins in 2005, and also even played in the CFL mm-hmm. with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. When you look back on your professional football career, what, what stands out to you the most? Um, just that I was able to play at that level. You know, um, the older you get, the, the more you start to understand life and the more you start to see how things pan out. And, you know, being able to play in the NFL and in CFL and play Major League Baseball, we all know that's, that's dreams of every kid that plays a sport to be a professional you know, athlete in that sport. And you have a better chance at being a doctor than you do at playing in NFL or playing in MLB um, because of the numbers. You know, there's only 32 NFL teams. You know, there's only so many baseball teams. And, you know, to get to that level, you know, that is a really, really tough task to do, a tough thing to do. And I was just blessed to be able to do it, you know, and, and, and I love every minute of it. And, you know, when people see and hear and they talk to me, they're like, oh, man, you played two sports, and yada, yada. And I'm like, yeah, I did, you know. And 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 I keep it, you know, real with them, and I tell them, I'm like, it, that ain't no easy task, buddy. You know, it's it's one of them things that it just doesn't happen. And I think a lot of college kids and high school kids now think it's just one of those easy things to do. But, you know, being older, I realize how tough that is and how blessed you are to be able to play uh, Major League Baseball and NFL football. When you saw the success of uh, of the Gamecocks baseball program, I'm sure when you were at South Carolina as well, I mean, they went to Omaha in 2002. Was there a small side of you that wished you could have played for uh, for Ray Tanner in the baseball program? Oh, man, of course, man. I, I would have loved to have played baseball. I would have loved to have played baseball and football at South Carolina. Um, that, that would have been because I'm a huge and still is a huge Bo Jackson fan. <laughs> so, you know, watching him grow up, you know, watching him growing up and, and watching him do baseball and football is something I wanted to do, you know. And so I, uh, you know, had a chance to do that, and I didn't get to do it at South Carolina, but, you know, I, I got to do it professionally. So I, I've enjoyed that. I feel like I'm in a pretty small group of, of men that have played two professional sports. Without a doubt. So talk about you hang up the cleats from the football field in 2007, Corey. Did your mind immediately shift to uh, to coaching? Because obviously that's what you're in now. You spent time with the Gamecocks as a assistant strength coach, which I want to get to in just a second. But what was your thought process? I mean, did you think you were going to stay, you know, obviously stay in sports, stay in coaching? What was the kind of the next well, step for I, you? When I, got done, when I got done playing, I really didn't know what I was going to do. You know, I, I really didn't know which avenue I was going to take. Um, I knew I wanted to do something close to sports um, and something dealing with kids because I, I love kids and I love being that positive influence to them to, to let them know, like, you know, any and everything is just about possible if you work hard at it and, and if you, you, you put your mind to it. And again, you know, I wound up uh, working for the Department of Commerce, which I had to put on a suit and tie every day. Um, sit behind a desk and look at a computer. I got to go out in the field a little bit and talk to kids with that job. Um, but that, you know, I, I found out pretty quickly that's not what I wanted to do. And then I got into training. Um, I worked at Gold's Gym for eight years, nine years, uh, I think 10 years, actually. And, and I became a general manager there. So I ran gyms. I ran the Gold's Gyms here in Columbia. Um, and I trained at first and I enjoyed training people, getting people in shape, changing people's lives. Um, with them just feeling better about themselves. And and, and then uh, I got the call. Um, you know, what people don't understand is when I was with the Dolphins that third year, um, that's when Nick Saban took over. And Coach Muschamp was 
you know, basically the linebacker slash defense coordinator with Nick Saban that year, you know, and that's when I met, that's when I met Coach Muschamp. And so with meeting Coach Muschamp there, you know, when he got the job here, he called, you know, he wound up calling me. He was going around to all the area schools. And the next thing you know, he went to Dreer High School where my sister works. And my sister said, you know, my brother used to play for you. And uh, he wound up giving me a call right then and there. And we talked and I went and met with him. And the next thing you know, I was, uh, I got that job as a strength coach at, at uh, Carolina. That's awesome. So obviously, yeah, let's get to that. You spent 2016 to 2018 with the Gamecocks and as an assistant strength coach, obviously um, because of your relationships with Mustang, I'm sure you were very, very high on the hire. Just kind of talk about, I guess, talk about your experience because as someone in the building, you know, you really got to see, you know, Coach Muschamp obviously mm-hmm. took over a, let's just be honest, a broken program, if you will, after the Spurrier era Correct. ended and really mm-hmm. has been building it back up piece by piece, bringing in talent each and every year, and I think is doing a fantastic job at it. But just just talk about, again, from the perspective of someone in the building, um, just your experience working with Coach Muschamp in the Gamecock football program. And, you know, I, I think, you know, pe- people kind of question – Coach Muschamp and what he has going on and and how they can change it, but I tell you, man, Coach Muschamp is a hell of a coach. I think he will get that program turned around. I like his coaching style. Um, I like how he coaches. And for me, it was a I was very excited to be a part of his first year. Um, and I think you know with the standards he set that first year, you know with winning nine games, you know that kind of set the standard up. Oh, oh, you know we we got ourselves a coach here. And so now, you know, and we know all, we all know too well how the South Carolina fans are. You win nine games, you got to repeat that every year or more. You know, anything less than that is unsatisfactory to them. And, you know, they, they're going to criticize, and it's hard to keep everybody happy. But I think Coach Munchamp's going to do a hell of a job. No doubt. So, obviously, you've moved on since then, Corey. Like I mentioned earlier at South Carolina State, coaching tight ends and fullbacks, just – uh I guess talk about the, uh, you know, how that sort of transpired and how things are going at South Carolina State. Well, you know, when I, when I first met with Coach Munchamp, he, you know, he asked me what's my ultimate goal. And I told him, you know, Coach, I want to be a position coach. You know, like I want to coach football. That's what I want to do. And um, the next thing you know, he said, well, you know, we'll start you off in the weight room and, and you know, we'll just kind of work our way from there. And uh, Coach Pugh, I wound up getting in contact with Coach Pugh two years after that. And, uh, he said, hey, I got a job for you. So my first year there, which was last year, I wound up just coaching tight ends. Um, and after coaching tight ends, uh, this year I'm coaching tight ends and fullbacks. I'm sorry, the running backs and fullbacks. Um, our fullback is kind of like our tight end hybrid guy. Yeah, gotcha. And I think, you know, with, with, our, with my knowledge of the game on both sides of the ball, you know, I think that helps me a lot, and, and it helps me explain to the kids a lot. You know, I can tell them, hey, this is what this defensive guy is thinking when you're lined up a certain way or when he see a certain, you know, when he see a certain formation, you know, and I can tell them, like, as an offensive guy, this is what you need to look at because when a defense sets up this way, this is probably what you're going to get. So I feel like I, I got the best of both worlds with knowing offense and defense, and I'm able to, to kind of let the kids know that stuff. So it works out pretty good for me. For sure. So, Corey, I'm going to get you out of here, but lastly, before I let you go, I actually have two more questions for you. Jumping back into the Gamecocks, um, because obviously you're okay. someone that still very, very closely follows the program. And again, you were literally with South Carolina a year ago. Just talk about your thoughts on not necessarily the program that Will Muschamp's building, because we already went over that, but 
going into the 2019 season. Obviously, SEC Media Days this week, Will Muschamp and South Carolina spoke on Wednesday. Um, everyone wants to talk about this difficult schedule and, you know, what's to come with the schedule. You know, I, I for one, Corey, I know you see it this way as well. I, for one, when you talk about that schedule, I see it as more so look at all the areas for opportunity for South Carolina on a national stage to go out and upset someone or win a big game. Just, just talk about uh, what you see for the 2019 mm-hmm. season for this Gamecocks football program. Well, I, I think this is a great opportunity. Yeah, it's prob- it is, without a doubt, the toughest schedule in the country. But you know what? In order to sit on top of that throne, these are the type of schedules you have to play. Um, these are the type of teams you have to go against. And I think it gives us a chance to really look at ourselves and see where we are as a program. And I think it's going to be a lot better than what most people think. You know, most people got us to the point to where we we probably may win four, maybe five games this year. Um, and I think we're going to win some of those games that people think we're not supposed to. And, you know, and I think, again, that gives us a chance to measure up our program to some of the best programs in the country and being able to play a hard schedule, you know, this year, you know, next year, maybe the schedule won't be as hard, but you know what, we'll be mentally prepared with having a young team playing a tough schedule this year. We, you know, this is something we can build on for the years to come. So I think the 2019 season does show a lot of opportunity, gives us a lot of opportunity. And I, and I think we're going to do some things that a lot of people don't think we can do. Without a doubt, for sure. So, Corey, before I let you go, one last question, um, kind of off the wall, sort of funny question. Give me your okay. your your funniest or best Lou Holtz story um, from when you were at South Carolina, ones that you can tell – maybe one that you can tell on the airwaves. Well, uh, <laughs> on the airwaves, okay. Um, I think my toughest my, – my funniest moment for him that I can go back to. Um, you know, when I first came to South Carolina, you know, we had that freshman practice before camp. And we have like two or three days that we practice before, you know, they bring out all the veteran guys, you know, and during those practices, Coach Holtz was patting me on the head, like, you know, giving me positive feedback, you know, basically telling me how good I can be, you know, and, and the good things that I'm doing. Never really said anything bad to me. And then the first day that the vet guys came out, you know, and of course I kind of moved back, you know, and said the first day that I came uh, the first day the vets came out, I threw a pass and it was incomplete. And I heard Coach Holtz, <laughs> he pulled me, he pulled me in front of everybody and he said to me, "Son, you will never play quarterback here throwing a ball like that." And I was like, "Holy smokes! <laughs> like, where did that guy come from? Like, he that was a guy I didn't know of." And you know, um, at that moment, that's when Phil pulled me to the side and said, "Hey, man, you're gonna get a lot worse than that. So just go ahead and prepare yourself." He said, "That's just him being him." And I'm one of those guys, you can coach me hard. I'm okay with being coached hard. I, I don't have a problem with that. So, But it, that was probably the funniest thing that's happened to me at South Carolina on the coach host. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Corey, really do appreciate you taking the time, man. I mean, like I said, it was a pleasure to speak with you. I know, uh, you yes, know, as, as a Gamecock fan, it, it, uh, it was a pleasure to watch you in the Garnet and Black and obviously throughout your career, multi-sport star, and to see what you're doing at South Carolina State as well. I know Gamecock fans will be certainly following along with you. And who knows, hopefully, maybe and hopefully one day we'll see you on the sidelines, maybe coaching a position unit or uh, in some sort of coordinator role, bring you back home to Columbia. Well, you know what, that is, that is, that would be the ultimate goal, you know, to not only be a player for South Carolina, but to be an actual position coach at the University of South Carolina. And so, you know, I'm going to keep grinding at this thing and keep coaching and then we'll just kind of see where it goes. You know, hopefully 
somebody uh, have it in their heart to say, you know what, let's hire this guy. He could be a great recruiter here at South Carolina. He's from Columbia. He knows the area. You know, he knows the state of South Carolina. People here know him. So he, he would be a good guy to go in a school and get a kid and talk to him about playing at home and being in his backyard. So, you know, we'll just sit and pray about it and we'll see what happens. Coach Muschamp, you hear it. Give Corey a call. Let's get him. Let's bring him home. So, Corey, appreciate it again, man. Let's uh, let's yes, definitely sir. do it Thank again you. sometime for sure. Yes, sir, Chris. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.